0: Listening to Into the Valley a Phoenix Suns Podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network.
1: Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Ryan Shutt and Philip Russell. And we are coming at you live here on YouTube, uh, live ish to all of our podcast listeners to cover. Everything Robert Sarver, this isn't going to be our typical episode. We're not talking rosters, schedules, matchups, anything like that. We wanted to take some time to consider everything that's going on within the NBA landscape as it pertains to the team we cover, cover in quotes, that makes it sound a little too professional maybe, but the team we talk about regularly to you all. Uh, the Phoenix Suns. So we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, but I want to kick it over to Philip uh, to share some thoughts on behalf of the pod about another recent
2: event that's been happening. One of, one of the things that I'm really proud of about the podcast that we have here is that we're not shy in pointing you to other content creators who do really good work. We have David at the Four Point Play who we've Mentioned recently, we point you to Dave King and the Brightside Podcast Network, but all three of us for years have been big fans of, (coughs) excuse me, of The Ringer. Most people who are basketball fans know that The Ringer experienced a pretty great loss with the death of Jonathan Sharks. So we wanted just to take a moment to honor Jonathan and to share a phrase that I saw in a lot of people's commemorative post about him that i thought was really cool throughout people who currently worked with jonathan who worked with jonathan in the past there was an idea that he was uncommonly kind and i think i saw that on three or four different posts of people again past and present who worked with him i loved that about the commemorative post that this guy was a brilliant Basketball writer. He was a hard worker. I say I know he was a hard worker because he covered the NBA draft and he covered it knowledgeably and covered it well and had smart things to say about the NBA the entire season long. So he was constantly balancing um, NBA, college basketball, scouting reports for both of them. Yet through all of that, his co workers said he was uncommonly kind. And as people who share a faith with Jonathan I think we can all say that that both making us very happy and very proud to call him a brother even if he was a brother at a distance
1: yeah it's been it's been great to see I guess just people's thoughts and you know moments like this allow people to share things that maybe they would never think to share or to express gratitude or praise in moments where, you know, how often do you think great things yet? Keep it to yourself. And in times like this, people have seemed to really just kind of open up their heart and share so much positivity and love about Jonathan and also his family, uh, wife, child uh, leaving behind. And so our thoughts and prayers are, are genuinely with, with Jonathan's family. Um, we are happy for him. Brian and I have seen uh, firsthand over the last couple of years what cancer and what illness can do uh, to people and those around them. And it's a wonderful thing when those go away. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing for someone to not have to experience that anymore. So uh, on behalf of all of us, I guess we want to just to say that and if you've never read or listened to any of his stuff uh feel free to go do that i know uh david nash who philip mentioned was doing a great job in a little twitter thread he had recently going through some of jonathan's great pieces talking about the Suns and how in touch he was with where the Suns were going uh and also ending with one of his more personal pieces that i know hit home with all three of us uh on an incredibly heavy level um so Wanted to start that way before uh, we pivot into really the the heart of what's going to be discussed tonight. Um, And if you're listening, we want you to know that this isn't fun to talk about. This isn't a content grab or, or some trendy thing. We internally discussed how we wanted to handle this. Um. If this was a story about another team in the NBA, I don't think we would be doing what we're doing, but because it's the Suns and because it is so intertwined into what we put so much time and effort in, we felt it had to be discussed, Uh, but in doing so, we wanted to wait. We wanted to let the investigation conclude. We wanted the report to come out. We wanted to see how the commissioner respond. How would the league respond? How would the players respond? And then take some time to summarize what we've seen and then just share our thoughts about it. Um, I personally, if there was ever an episode where I'd love some feedback, it would be this one. Not just to hear your all's takes on, on what we present, but also get your thoughts as well as a fan. I know for me during the season, it was a weird thing trying to compartmentalize this story in one part of my brain while still cheering for the team with all of my heart, hoping for success, success that unfortunately would be tied to a man that we weren't very proud to call the owner of the team we love. Um, so gentlemen, before I do kind of a a, a quick summary of that timeline, is there anything you guys want to add before we, uh, jump into this less than fun topic in front of us?
0: I, I, not necessarily to add to but a, a good friend of the pods a friend of ours named phil um is a really big washington commanders fan uh and when all this news broke he kind of reached out to me and was like dude i hate that you all are going through this because i know what it does from a fan's perspective to essentially loathe the person who who is over that and, and i think you're you're, you're point about compartmentalizing has was a good one to make that we've really had to try to compartmentalize like our feelings about Sarver and the grotesque allegations made against him with our genuine love of this team and its players and the empathy we have for them working for an employer who they probably don't feel comfortable at this point working around um and so that's been challenging for us and i just hope that we're able to cover this and talk about this in the way i know we can with, with tact and respect but also with, with honesty about how we feel about this and, and so that you all know, like how we feel about, about these sorts of things, um, because they are really, uh, they're, they're uh, shameful, shameful allegations that I would hope nobody I, I call friend or family would have brought against them.
1: Yeah. Um, well let's talk timeline real quick. Um, not the podcast, a Blue Wire podcast, which is a great one. But we're going to talk timeline of uh, this, this whole story with Sarver here. Hey, man, I, I have to get my one joke in for the episode in the first 10 minutes because they're probably not going to be coming uh, too frequently after that. Uh, but talking timeline here, this thing dates back to November of 2021. And when I say this thing, I mean the story. Uh, we'll talk more about the allegations and the conduct. Conduct. But the timeline looks a little something like this. So the initial report by Baxter Olms was posted on November 4th, 2021. So we're nearing almost a year since this story broke. And if you remember, uh, we were in full-on basketball mode when this story released. Uh, The players were playing for this man. Those working were in full go mode with the season. And this story dropped. And it was a very interesting initial response. There wasn't some Donald Sterling-esque piece of evidence that got floated out. There wasn't a video call that we could watch and see. There wasn't uh, an audio clip that the whole world could listen to to immediately provide this validity to these claims. And with that, we were tasked with reading the information and coming to a conclusion or more than likely kind of waiting. And so with that, we read this massive report that focused on two words from the get-go, racism and misogyny, two things that were seen from Sarver and then in his leadership and his management and in his ownership with the Suns. We then, uh, five days ago as of recording on September 13th, 2022, finally got to the end of what I would call the investigation phase Um, after the Baxter Holmes report. The league decided to do their own investigation. And so over the last 10 months, an incredible amount of effort and time has gone into this. Um, Listening to Baxter Holmes on the low post with Zach Lowe this week, you could tell that that man has lived five years of his life in the last 10 months with all of his involvement, the work he did leading up to this, the conclusion he's now seeing. And so we get to our conclusion. So what I wanted to do guys is quickly summarize the report itself, uh, including quotations directly from it. Uh, If you are interested, listeners, there is a PDF accessible. Uh, Baxter Holmes shared it on his Twitter directly from the law firm doing the investigation. I think it's a 43-pager, chock full of information. Uh, But we wanted to summarize that for you. To some extent, again, we don't want to try to put our own input to fill in the gaps, but we wanted you to have the baseline. Uh, So guys, the opening of the report starts like this. It says the investigation finds that during his 18 year tenure as governor of the sun's organization, Sarver has engaged in conduct that clearly violated common workplace standards as reflected in team policies and league rules and policies. That's really important team and league two separate entities. We'll talk about that later. This conduct includes the use of racially insensitive language Unequal treatment of female employees, sex-related statements and conduct, and harsh treatment of employees that on occasion constituted bullying. The conduct was consistent over the period of those interviewed over 100 individuals witnessed Starver's statements or actions that violated applicable standards. And the conduct had a substantial impact on employees, with some witnesses describing that their experiences with Starver in emotional and forceful terms. So, Wanted to go ahead and start with that. That was, if you will, uh, Philip, put back on your English teacher, like, the, the thesis statement for, for the piece that was to come. This was saying this was what was reported. And in summation, this is what we're going to be investigating. And based even off their language on the very first couple of paragraphs, this was something they did find evidence to. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all, when you guys were reading the report, and it started so strongly in this way, were you, were you shocked at all? Because I, I think that's one thing I wanted to talk about first. What was your immediate response after waiting all these 10 months? We've had great conversations within the three of us, even going back to our first episode talking about it, saying we want to hear more. We want to learn more. We don't want to start throwing stones. But at the same time, a lot of this information can't be ignored. How did you feel as you started reading this
2: report and kind of realized the tone that was being started with? I think I had two main reactions. The first one that I'll share, which is less important, is that Baxter Holmes did outstanding work, and his work in his report shows the need for good investigative journalism that covers all aspects of our society. But more importantly, what came to my mind was that as Holmes reported and as we discussed when his article came out back in November, there has been real damage done by Robert Sarver and the people who were the victims of that racially insensitive language, that unequal treatment, the sex-related statements and conduct like my heart goes out to those people. I feel so comfortable in my job. I feel so comfortable going to work every day. I've been there for years at this point. It's it's not actually the only place I've ever worked in a professional capacity, but basically, and there's a comfortability that makes my job so much easier. I can't truly, like, I can't fathom what it would be like To walk into a place and have the boss's boss's boss, however many rungs there are, be a person who, at times, the report says makes you feel like you don't want to be at work or causes anxiety when you go to work. And that is so heartbreaking for people who are trying to make it in a profession that's so difficult to be a success in that he was a hindrance rather than someone who was helping to stir and aid. The aspirations of the employees there,
0: yeah, I found myself just disappointed was was the word that that kept coming to mind, and even that's not strong enough i don't think you just don't want it to be the the thing you care about you don't want it to be true with with everything in me, I would have loved for none of this to have happened like to for for Baxter's original canary in the coal mine to have just been some sort of gotcha article. Be, because people have strong feelings about Sarver in general, but that's not how this played out, right? This this has proven that basically everything that Baxter was pointing to, every rumor that had been floated about Sarver has legitimacy to it. And I just, I, that, that hurts to, to know that to Phillip's point, and we talked about this in depth when we covered this, when it came out, the, the, the empathy I feel for people who work in that organization, I can't imagine to Phillips' point, not feeling comfortable comfortable in in the workplace. And you know, at this point, we've we've been around folks around the Suns organization enough to have even some mutuals who are employed by the Suns at this point. Like, like I-, I can't imagine being like on there and and people talking about my place of work or or having people I know talk about my employer that way. Like, I can't fathom having such a toxic workplace environment that it becomes a national story. And so I'm just disappointed that we even have to be talking about this. But I appreciate that so many people are, and that this isn't getting swept under some rug as is want to do when, when people with billions of dollars behind them are, are involved. But this is a very prominent story. And, and we're bringing everything to light. But I'm also thankful that the three of us, especially, we, we held our full judgments, we didn't want to rush the conclusions, we didn't want to you know, wave, wave any kind of flag of, of um, you know, of, of accusation, but we wanted to, to see the process play out. And so I'm thankful for, for the way that you guys have, have talked about this and the way we've talked about it, both, you know, on on r- record or, or not, that um, I, I think we rush as a society, society to want to have a conclusion immediately, but I appreciate the time and the effort that has been put by all parties involved into into sorting this out and getting the accurate information out there.
1: Yeah, I wanted to wanted to touch on uh, a couple things. First one really quick for uh, something Philip mentioned about the the sports industry itself. Uh I got my degree in sports management which sounds fake uh to many because, you know, what can you manage about a sport? And master's sports media and branding like I wanted to go down that path interviewed with uh different Sports avenues had uh, a job offer for an NFL team that you quickly realize that you're putting in 60 to 80 hours to get paid very little. Uh, Minor league baseball was the same thing. So like I, I was able to talk to a lot of these folks who are out there going for their dream, if you will. Uh, I obviously did not have the heart to stomach those, uh, those asks. But to your point, it is brutal to think that these people who are in such a demanding industry already have to add on top of that the mess that they're in. And then also, y'all both mentioned the general uneasiness of going to work and what that looks like, feels like, how that impacts you. Um, and as the the corporate statesman of the group, because I didn't choose to go into education and change lives like you guys, um, I wanted to say one of the first things I thought of when I read the Baxter Holmes report was I wouldn't be surprised if the stuff was Sarver's true. I think it's going to be really hard to connect that though, to the toxic workplace allegations and many of the other things that are said. Ryan just referenced it, the layer upon layer upon layer of person that connects the CEO to the person being affected in so many instances. And so I myself, I work within the HR side of things. I know how many layers there are between me and and my CEO. And I, I had that same thought of like, okay, if I have these things happening to me, how much of that can I immediately reflect to the one at the very top? So I wanted to bring about this, this comment too, that was very soon after that initial thesis statement. It says concerning Sun's personnel other than Sarver, The investigation finds several instances of workplace misconduct, although many involved employees who have since left the organization. The investigation further finds organizational deficiencies centered on the son's HR function, many of which have since been substantially remedied. So I do like that at the very beginning, they also addressed there was an HR issue as well. A lot of these come from HR failures across the board. And later on, actually, there was another um, comment that was made, and I I wanted to once again quote this. Regarding the HR issues, it says, the investigation identified no direct connection between Sarver and the incidents and concerns described in this part, this part being the HR-related incidents that were described uh, much later on in in the conversation. It says, many witnesses nonetheless expressed the view that Sarver was responsible for the problematic behavior of other employees and the HR department's defects because of, quote, the tone at the top he set through his own conduct. This hypothesis is difficult to test, but it warrants mention because so many witnesses advanced it in such consistent terms. Many current and former execs and employees told investigators, they believed Sarver's conducts were responsible. So I do think they did a wonderful job of setting the scene, in my opinion, in a really fair way of saying you cannot connect point A and point B of saying these instances at the bottom are connected to him as a person at the top. But we heard enough people make these claims that it was a tone set by him that we did want to give credence and bring that up in the investigation. So I thought that was really well handled. Um, just from an incredibly corporate standpoint. So now we get into the meat, the we talk to a lot of people, here's what we learned. And before we jump into that, uh, I wanted to mention too, I think I, I kind of set you all up with that question in a slightly unfair way. Did you all start the article after already seeing the punishment that had been handed out? Because I personally had. I saw the tweet that said, million fine and a one-year ban. Check out the report for more. Had you guys seen the punishment going into the findings? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think that is worth noting as well when you kind of replay your initial reaction. So you knew there was a punishment. You knew the verdict was guilty. And you almost go into this 43-pager saying like, okay, what was there to warrant this punishment? Uh, And we're going to get to that punishment shortly. I think that's one of the big things I want to talk about with you guys. Um, But regarding the information, here are, uh, here's kind of an opening statement about who was talked to and to the scope it was. Quote, since the investigation's inception, 320 people have been interviewed. Among the interviewees were 202 current employees, including senior team execs, 100 former employees, 12 sons, Minority Owners, which that's very interesting, and Sarver himself. Uh, The investigators also concluded follow-ups. Notwithstanding the foregoing measures, 124 people who they contacted either failed to respond, some after multiple attempts, or affirmatively declined to participate in the investigation. So you got to think, there are 320 people involved, 124 who said no, and multiple follow-ups. Is that, was that the scope you guys anticipated to see when it came into this? Because that number is just monstrous, including the currents, 202 current employees. Can you imagine what an awkward, tense situation it must have been to work for the Suns during this last season?
2: Yeah, the, one of the things that the report notes that I, I thought was really interesting. Was it seemed like the the law firm scheduled those meetings when the employees weren't at work. Right. They mentioned we- Skype calls, a phone mm-hmm. call, like everything for confidentiality, which it's is genius. And they even have in the report that there are corroborated, substantiated accounts of racially insensitive language, unequal treatment, etc., that have been withheld from their report because of confidentiality issues. Yeah. So on one hand, there are a slew of people who were involved with this process. And we can simultaneously say that the report that we have, which again, I'm just gonna follow up and tell you like, read the report if you're a Suns fan. Read the report. The report itself, it's not even comprehensive because they're guarding the confidentiality of the people who participated, which is a nice way of saying there's more bad stuff that the investigators know Sarver did that they didn't feel comfortable including in this report. So to kind of wrap all of that up, it is a huge scope that these investigators went in, and there's a broader scope of information that we could hypothetically have access to. I, I, I frankly,
0: I didn't know what to expect, but I figured if, if Baxter was given the access he was in his investigation that if something was going to be done on a more even more professional level especially from like a corporate law perspective that it would have to be sweeping. Now what does that mean? I don't know what that looks like, but to to have seen the 300 plus essentially be contacted and then the 320 interviewed like that is at least in my perception of how this would play out about as thorough as you could have asked for. Because yeah. it seems that that is touching every aspect of what has this organization running.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think if nothing else, it just continued to show validity in the process. Um, and, and with that, wanted to, to kind of do a quick summary of the way they broke it up. So they didn't just chronologically go through the story of Sarver. They broke it up into really easily digestible uh chunks to make it i think understandable the goodness the the repeated nature of a lot of his wrongdoings so to start uh within the category of race as the opener here uh repeated n words were used by robert sarver documented as early and again as philip said a lot didn't make it in here as early as 2004 dating as recent as 2017 keep those dates in mind when we get to uh later defenders talking about the changed man over his 18 year period so once again 04 to 17 a repeated phrase within that section was quote sarver admitted his actions denied that they had anything to do with race and said dot 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 basically what i'm saying is after an incident was described Uh, By those creating the document, they would basically take an aside to let us, the readers, know how Sarver would respond. And repeatedly what we saw was Sarver saying, yes, this happened, but it didn't have anything to do with race. Let me tell you what it really meant. That was repeated, I think, four or five times within this section alone. Moving on to treatment towards women, uh, the dates that are concrete – were in 2008 and 2011, though many other things fall into that category as discussed later. Uh, within that, there are emails for both of those instances corroborating the claims on both occasions, among many witnesses, including those involved. The next big section was quote sexual, crude, and vulgar comments and conduct in the workplace, which might have been the, the the heaviest section in terms of examples. It was a lot of quick hitting stories um, and. I just put some down here uh, and through an et cetera, cause I got tired of <laughs> typing how gross it was uh, sending emails with pornography and nudity, sending emails directly to fellow male execs with intercourse um, presenting in a presentation, uh, his wife in a son's bikini to quote, show the merchandise in a sales pitch uh, showing his personal genitals in a medical physical with a team staffer who he had requested a physical for, though stating by that staffer that there had been many performed in the past and Sarver knew full well that wasn't needed, Uh, many comments about female employees, their bodies, and their attractiveness, and the common line that was seen throughout those was, the investigation finds that the incidents occurred and the comments were made as described above. Basically stating, everything that we just took the time to share with you our investigation showed that that is true, and that is what happened. And like I said, that wasn't all of it. That was us trying to keep this thing from going way too long. Uh, but time after time, this seemed to be really a, a common, common piece of the malpractice. And and I don't want to make this comment in a way that seems joking but i wanted to share with you kind of how my brain processed it because again if you don't have a real world example you kind of find something th- that connects how i read robert sarver was that if michael scott from the office was a real person and he held all the power uh if you've watched the office and i could probably find other horrible examples of management in other tv shows but it is if you took The most insecure, crude, uh, immature when it comes to sense of humor, right and wrong, time and place, self-awareness, and this desire to either show your power, show your humor, or make others feel beneath you in some way, that is the person that is described in this 43-page article. And it, it was gross. It was it was disgusting reading how he spoke to pregnant women, how he spoke to women about their body changes between one season to another, how he would verbally berate employees over a poor job. Uh, And that was men and women. The women got brought up specifically because of the following remarks of how they handled it. Uh, Women, quote, bawling in their office, which led to emails from other employees checking in on them, which ended up. Being wonderful evidence in this investigation, like it it just describes a pretty awful person, uh, and I don't think we need to go example by example talking about which one bothered us the most. Was there any of it surprising? I, I just want wanted to get your all's take after reading that. Um, what were your thoughts as you kind of just went through this? Because again, I I just felt I felt angry. I think angry was my my dominant feeling um and and that was directed at him and then i immediately just started feeling bad for all the people that have had to go through it so that that was my take philip i guess i can start with you what
2: how did you process all of this the kind of person who robert sarver is projected to be in this report and from everything we can tell the kind of person he is is a familiar person, probably to pretty much everybody. Like we know, Mm -hmm. we know that guy, we know that guy who he doesn't care. He calls people snowflakes when he says something that's offensive. He rails against like politically correct language and that sort of thing. I'll, I'll give the phrase that's in my mind. He's like a bar stool, bro. That's who I'm thinking in my mind. He's that kind of guy and that kind of guy's annoying we think he's not a good person but when that kind of a person has power real power over other people over organizations that people care about over other people's livelihoods and finances and professional aspirations it's not annoying or bad anymore it's scary that this is this is someone who it would it would be intimidating and frightening to work for, but in the part of the report called the executive summary towards the beginning of the report, I thought the law firm did a really good job summarizing it with four bullet points. They categorized his behavior. They said he active aggressively for the purpose of provoking reactions. This is the owner of an NBA team who this law firm is saying, you were doing things to get a rise out of people. His sense of humor, number two, was determined to be sophomoric and inappropriate. He behaved as though workplace norms did not apply to him, which will be significant later on in this conversation, and he lacked a filter and seemed to thrive off making other people uncomfortable. That's the guy we're dealing with, who, again, we know people like this, but the major major issue is this kind of a person with the amount of power that robert sarver has in the phoenix suns organization
0: in my mind you think kind of went where yours was and that's he sounds like the the archetype or the trope of like this antiquated view of the way businessmen are portrayed in like 50s and 60s right in, in the, a lot of the way they're per, per, portrayed to the, the worst extremes of who they are and they're portrayed in those ways um to to prove the point that whatever genre or, or medium is being used whether that's a film or tv but i think kind of like the madman era the wolf of Wall Street era just the the absolute power and money behind a terrible person and what they then feel like they have the ability to to do or the way they can behave because they have that. And so I I was just kind of heartbroken reading it. And and my question that I kept coming to was like, how was this allowed to go on for so long that we're just now learning the full scope of it? And and the answer is there's a power dynamic at play. And we won't take the time to, to talk. Philip touched on it just now a little bit. But you recognize the power dynamics at play in that area, and the fact that you're bringing up uh, something done towards you or against you could inevitably be you losing your job because you spoke out against that it it's just so disheartening to think that for eighteen years this has been happening. I was twelve when this started happening eighteen years of my life I like i, I I can't fathom that kind of just toxicity running rampant in that place for all of those years and we're just now getting to the point where something is being done about it. Yeah. It
1: it's just it's frustrating. And I mean within the timeline I think when he took over his role was right around the time I started watching so like my entire son's life has been with that guy at the helm. Um, And it's, it's tough. And and you even see people on Twitter who were a part of the investigation and were interviewed continuing to, to, to push the agenda and keep fighting for, for fairness here in the conclusion. And and that's kind of where I want to go next with this. Uh, Like I said, the report came out and attached to it was the NBA's decision, $10 million fine and a one-year suspension. So when you first saw that, guys, before we go into how the rest of the world saw that, did, did you think that that seemed right? And, and we don't need full conversation. Did that seem right after reading what you
2: had read?
0: Not remotely.
2: Philip, what about you? Try to keep it brief, but it's the max amount of money that can be levied against him. And it seems the only other thing that Silver could have done would be to issue a lifetime ban of Sarver. But that, and again, I know you wanted insurrection, but that takes us down another rabbit hole. If he issues a lifetime ban, like Sarver can't come to NBA facilities, can't be part of this, he still owns the team. Yeah. And Silver would have needed 75% of the governors of the other NBA teams to get him out so it was one of those is it enough in terms of what i think is warranted no do i think silver in the position that he's in could have done anything more that's where i'm sitting there going i'm not i'm not sure
1: yeah and just for some clarification because i saw a lot of confusion within the tweets and mentioned when it came out it was a 10 million dollar fine which as philip has mentioned is the most money they can find them so there's nothing more financially there People saw a one-year suspension and they were upset saying, no, he needs to be banned. Now, a one-year suspension and a one-year ban is the exact same thing. So let's go ahead and, and put that out there as point one. A ban and a suspension are identical. Zero involvement whatsoever. You cannot phone into the facility. You cannot anything. Can't be there. Can't go to a game. Nothing related to this team is yours. That said, you still have ownership. And that is a a very big point of what we're going to talk about later with silver. So ban and suspension, same thing. The only other thing to Philip's point would have been a forced sell. In a lot of this, I have taken from other people's podcasts. I listened to a lawyer's podcast. That was really nerdy, and I won't do that again. But a lot of it was discussing the only next step would be a forced sell. Philip mentioned it to get an owner... To be forced to sell a team, it requires 75% of the other owners or governors, which is such a weird name, uh, to approve it. Now, that vote is not public, but in the world we live in, it sure would be soon enough. So you're then asking all the other owners who are not involved in this thing to either be the guy that was okay with making an owner sell a team, which is setting a very dangerous precedent if you are an owner and maybe have some skeletons in your closet or things that you don't want out there or don't want things levied against you now that you know this is possible, or you're the guy that sided with Robert Sarver and said, no, he's good. Like, even if you can, you know, you could put out a hundred pager talking about how awful he is and then end it with, but I vote no because of, you know, whatever. Yikes, man, that's awful. So for Adam Silver and the powers that be, that would have been a really tough thing to do, and I think the other thing that kind of poisoned the minds of the NBA viewer in this situation was the uh, Donald Sterling situation. Without going into way too much of that, because again, go listen to another podcast. The only reason a forced sell, sale, sell, whatever, was permitted in that case was because his wife managed to get legal precedent that he wasn't basically in his, the right mind to govern the team. And so then part of that ownership should be transferred to her. And then she could approve it without having to go to the 75% vote. Like it took every little domino falling beautifully in place for the NBA to be like, all right, great, please sell it to whoever. And the NBA profited big time because Ballmer came in, good things have happened, life is good. So you're looking at either we give, we find him as much money as we can. I guess we can make the ban last longer, but what's that going to do? Or we, what feels like, go a mile down the road and say, or we make him sell. And that just doesn't seem feasible if you're thinking of what would constitute that from the NBA's perspective and potentially. The headache that would come from it, Ryan. Did you have something you wanted to add?
0: What I was—I was, I was going to say too. I think Silver didn't necessarily do himself a favor either in the way the press conference was handled. Ah, uh, that, you was, that wanted, was next.
1: That's where we're going. Okay,
0: so I apologize if if I'm jumping ahead it. here, but man, that should have been an email or something. Like that press <laughs> conference was a dumpster fire. For silver, just even in the way he talked about the situation. And I I brought bring this up now because of the point you just made with there were only so many things that silver in the league could do legally about this. But then to say a comment like there are particular rights here of someone who owns an NBA team compared to an employee. That's not the way to build your argument that, that th- there are certain rights afforded to ownership and certain routes you have to take for this to be. Because all of a sudden, what the people hear in that press conference is, he has privileges that regular employees don't have because of who he is and the money he has. And then to use phrase like, he's evolved, when again, you've already alluded to some of the time frames and some of those comments. Adam Silver's press conference, to me just uh, exacerbated this whole situation even further because it looked like a poor handling and the justification of not going any further than the, the maximum allowed without going after the team and taking it from him so that whole that whole scenario just in, in my opinion was a major fumble by silver
1: yeah there there was a lot within his his press conference re-listening to the actual presentation itself um he didn't seem to want to step in front of the investigation and conclusion if it was his conclusion it very much had the feel of well this is what we've been told this is what this is what they said and so here's the punishment we're giving and and yeah ryan ryan mentioned kind of the the soundbite that came from it and i want to give the context and the response so uh i think it was howard beck said it um basically the question was asked how can Sarver retain his standing when the same behavior would have triggered the immediate termination of any team or league employee in any situation and they basically were asking why do basic workplace behavior standards or human standards be different and silver's response was there are particular rights here of someone who owns an NBA team as opposed to someone who's an employee. I mean, again, a remediate reaction, that sounds horrible, right? I think we all agree. You hear that and you said, that sucks. You're telling me the standards are different. But at the same time, again, take off your feelings cap and put on your corporate cap. It makes sense. Because what's being said is I cannot govern how this body operates or decides when I don't have ownership of that body. When you're going up to someone and saying, this thing that is yours, that you own, and again, you can fight me over, well, technically it's a majority ownership. He's at 30, whatever, right? It is what it is. That is the the, rock and a hard place that Silver is stuck between, and he is trying to wiggle his way out. And he's not succeeding. But that was the message behind the words, even though it was not great, right? And he even said that, like, it's hard to make this comparison between Sarver, his job and his money, and to anyone else. And so I I get what Silver was trying to do, but boy, did it backfire. And so we immediately see, I think pretty universally, uh media backlash on Adam Silver. And I think you're right Ryan. I think the report got attention, the press conference bumped it up another couple notches. And so you're seeing ESPN, Sports Illustrated, major media outlets putting out these Silver dropped the ball, the NBA should have done better, memes of Sterling looking at Adam Silver like where was this, you know, 10 years ago type of stuff. Like everyone seemed to be on the same page of Hey, how you're handling this isn't right. But at the same time, I think we all knew, right? We can be upset, but what what's going to come from this? Like within the days following, you had the instituting of the new, basically gov- interim governor, interim owner, who just happens to be a Sarver guy. People started doing deep dives on on his backstory and why they don't like him, and we're not here for that. But essentially. Sarver found a replacement that would do Sarver things not in terms of action or behavior but in terms of how he thinks and operates and then it's like, okay, what happens now? What happens after a year when this guy walks back into his company and organization and the two hundred something employees that were on record, though he doesn't know who how How does this come back together following the split, and we finally started to see some people whose voices really matter start to speak up from the players perspective. We have the NBA players associations lead calling for Sarver's resignation, making it abundantly clear that all players are in support of what's being said. You have the likes of Chris Paul, the face of the Suns in terms of, I would say NBA pedigree speaking out about the unfairness of the result and the punishment and followed that up by LeBron James who that, his tweet, if you run, you know, some Harvard study 50 years from now on the impact of of one person's tweet, I don't think we'll ever know. But LeBron James putting that out there started m- growing that momentum that was desperately needed and fans needed to see that as well. Then what the conclusion was is nothing's going to happen until money gets involved. And that's what we saw next. Started off with. Uh, One of the minority owners, who again, isn't the deciding power, but openly said that he is calling for Sarver's resignation, making it abundantly clear. It just so happens that uh, he was not one of the owners that signed the initial, we believe in you, Robbie. Like he was one that was like, I'm not signing that letter. Give me, wait till the end here. And then I think the big issue to drop is PayPal, the Jersey title sponsor, the face of the six man membership within season ticket holders. One of the biggest financial supporters of the team saying we will not be returning in our role. If Robert Sarver is returning in a year in that, I think if, if there's one thing that's really going to be the catalyst to actually something happening, I think it was that I think more than a minority owner speaking up, it is the people who are actively pumping money into this thing saying, If you're coming back in a year, we won't be there waiting for you. So what were your all's thoughts as you watched the aftermath start to unfold? Because I have been very intrigued going from this punishment sucks. What can you do about it? Like, obviously, you can change your Twitter bio to Sarver out or whatever, but no one cares about us, right? Like, what's going to happen to actually make something change? After seeing this, Philip, what were kind of your thoughts and where do you think this thing
2: could go as we continue to monitor it? Because of the PayPal statement, wherever we end this episode, it doesn't end with a period, it ends with an ellipsis. That because money has now gotten involved into this situation, there are more dominoes that will that will fall. Because I would imagine what Jamna Jafi. Is thinking now is because a sponsor is now threatening, that would mean Sarver's actions are running against his fiduciary responsibility to the Phoenix Suns. Because they're running against his fiduciary, just financial, because they're running against his financial responsibilities to do right by the organization, then those minority owners likely have cause to remove Sarver or to even force Sarver to be removed from his ownership claim
1: ryan what about you
0: mine has just been wrestling with this weird attempt to uh, paint sarver as this reformed man that uh, that's been peculiar to me too we haven't really talked about that but silver referred to his evolution or that he's evolved um The son's statement from ownership mentioned that he's taking full responsibility. While in Sarver's personal statement, he said, quote, while I disagree with some of the particulars and then went on to say, I'm sorry. Like this weird, this weird attempt to try and say, Oh, he's changed. He's better. Everything's good now. Like that has just kind of grossed me. And that's where I'm left off feeling that I just feel gross that, that we're trying to, automatically just say oh because these penalties have been put in place that sarver has seen the errors in his way and he's a better man now that's not to say that we don't as a group collectively be you know believe in the power of somebody to change or that, that mercy and forgiveness should be extended i think Uh, Al Sharpton spoke out and and said, you know, a bigot can never change. I don't think anybody who claims to be a Christian can stand by that statement. I hope that this does lead Sarver to reevaluate who he is and what his character is. But to automatically assume now that these punishments have been levied, that he's some reformed man is just – it's not possible. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. I agree. Uh, Well – As we bring this thing to a very uh, unsatisfactory close, I I do want to reiterate what Philip said. I don't think this is the end of it, but I think we at least had enough information now to present our thoughts and present the information to you all. If you are listening, I know this thing has, this has been lengthy, we expected it to be, and it's not been the most fun or enjoyable listen potentially. If you're listening, we want to hear your thoughts, Uh, not just fire Sarver, Sarver out. I'm curious what you all think of the whole process. Um, If you've been disappointed in the NBA, if you think Silver's press conference was handled poorly, has it been eye-opening to think that maybe Silver reports more to the owners than he does to the league and realizing the impact of money uh, that sometimes we kind of forget Allows the league to happen. it's been interesting, guys. I feel like I've had to do a lot of thinking and and good research trying to figure out uh what to present and how we want to present it. But I think we just tabled this. Uh, I don't think this needs to be a weekly check in. I don't think it needs to be summer Suns where we share every Instagram post or tweet, but I do think this is something that we'll probably come back to uh later on. Uh, But guys, as we as we bring this one to a close and eagerly await the NBA season starting, is there anything you guys want to add before we call it a night?
0: Got nothing, man. I'm just I'm just ready for a page turn and hopefully we'll we'll have a season to enjoy and compartmentalize some of the, the awful things that have been going on behind the scenes and still get to enjoy what should be a really successful NBA
2: season. Philip, I think just as an admonition and as a reminder, when thinking about Robert Robert Sarver, it's easy to get caught up in the sport of it all. And as we said back in November, we're going to reiterate it here. If in your mind you're leading with the athletic implications of this report, you got to check yourself. You got to do some personal growth. That what should be at the forefront of all of our minds every time we're talking about this, what should be of first importance are the people who are negatively impacted by Robert Sarver. And again, if that's not where you're at, if your mind is automatically going to basketball, just do a little, do a little soul searching in. And as I used to tell my students, be better. Love it. Well, for those
1: listening, we appreciate you. Wanted to give a special shout out to the bright side uh folks thank you for your support for making this happen dave and the whole crew for those that are watching on youtube thank you feel free to hop in the comments we know our our youtube audience is smaller but they're mighty and we appreciate seeing you guys pop up uh and those that are listening thank you for for sticking with our regular schedule throughout the summer uh we are i i won't speak for you i am pumped for the season to start i'm excited to get this thing going i think uh, the podcast family and audience that we have built and is going into this season is is a lot a lot bigger and a lot more connected than the one we had to start last season. So I'm excited to see what we can do with it. Um, but again. Thank you all for listening. For Ethan, for oh, dang it, man, I made it 55 minutes and look at us now. I don't get to say for Ethan, that's not my job. For Philip and Ryan, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.